Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And each and every Saturday, we are here to bring you the very best in entertainment. We do that by shining a big old spotlight on all that is good in the entertainment industry. And, you know, there's plenty of bad, but there's so much good that we want to talk about. And we start off each show by talking about the very best in entertainment news. News specifically, and that's going to include reviews of things that have recently come out and casting news and trailer news and all kinds of entertainment news. Right off the bat, great news for Cole because the new trailer for It Chapter 2 has uh, emerged and from the sewers, he refuses to watch it. Any any movie that I actually want to see, I avoid the trailers for so that I can get get it the way it was meant to be experienced. It's understandable. You don't want the movie to be wasted because they give away too much in the trailer, which, which they tend to do. They nowadays. typically do. Also, the It 2 trailer is significant because It 2 is kind of the signifier of the end of the summer movie season this year, the way it's going. It's going to be the first big release in September, and that will kind of tell us, okay, Summer's over, we get the back-to-school slog, then we'll get some horror movies, then we'll get some Oscar bait, and then the the whole year's over. Yeah. But before the year is really over, we do have another movie, and we just got our first trailer, our first look, our first just absolutely horrifying look at it, and it is Cats, the movie, based on Cats the Musical, but starring Jason Derulo and Taylor Swift and Jennifer Hudson, who can all sing, and also with Idris Elba in it, and Rebel Wilson, and Sir Ian McKellen, and Dame Judi Dench, and late night man James Corden, and just it, everyone kind of dressed up CGI-ish looking like cats, and it is just maybe the most fantastic bad trailer I have ever seen. I recommend everyone to just fuel their nightmares and go check that out before checking out the movie. It'll certainly be something to look forward to. And, you know, speaking of things that we're excited for, I'm excited for the next season of Fargo, which, if you haven't seen, it's an FX show. And uh, <laughs> I what I don't understand is how Ben Wishaw, who is so sweet... As Paddington Bear ended up on a show like Fargo. Pretty but violent. It's uh, it's official. He is on it as well as Chris Rock. Chris Rock in a, in a drama? Sure. Can it be true? I think so. Okay. Well, we've got that to look forward to. I'm looking forward to the next Disney live action. Are you? Re- well, really? I mean, <laughs> we're going to have some things to say about Disney live action remakes today on the yes. show. Yes. But- just in time for us to talk about the rest of them, we got casting news for <gasps> The Little Mermaid that will be coming out. That's true. So if you're not aware, uh, Disney for a while now has had the MCU, I think since 2008 when Iron Man came out. So they had this overall plan to release all these films. And I kind of feel like Disney's doing it again with live action remakes of these animated classics. And uh, the results have not been as good as the Marvel movies, we can just say, but more on that to come. But the good news is, in the casting side of things with The Little Mermaid, we've got an African-American Ariel. Mm -hmm. Halle Bailey. And try not to say Halle Berry. Not Halle Berry. Who's also African-American. Everyone has read it as as they read the headlines. But Halle Bailey, (laughs) who's got a beautiful singing voice, um, will be our new Ariel. So... 
Cole, have you also heard that Melissa McCarthy is in talks to play Ursula? And also, Jacob Tremblay and Aquafina are parts of the cast as well. So it's really? shaping up to be an interesting new take on Little Mermaid. Hopefully, it won't just be a rehash. And how would you feel about Javier Bardem as King Triton? Ooh, interesting. They, you know what they ought to do? They ought to have Dolph Lundgren play King Triton. To and... complete his under-the-seas yes! trifecta. Yes! So, Cole, I know that you also want to talk about a big announcement that came out recently. We got our Emmy nominations for the year. The Emmys don't exactly run calendar year to calendar year. It's kind of like midway through the summer to midway through the summer. Mm -hmm. The nomination list comes out this week. Uh, Stranger Things does not get in in time for the cut. They will be next year. But Game of Thrones and Veep and a lot of those shows that just finished their final seasons a couple weeks ago... Uh, did make the cut. Now, I was surprised to see that Game of Thrones had, like, broken a record with the number 32 of... 32 nominations. The reason I'm surprised is because I think everybody would agree, and I don't watch the show, but I think everybody would agree that this has been the worst season of Game of Thrones. Critics are saying that is the weakest written uh, season of Game of Thrones, okay. despite it getting a few writing Emmy nominations. But aside from Game of Thrones, I just want to go through like the best comedy and the best drama series, just okay. so you know what's been on television for the past year or so. So nominated for best drama. I'm. It's all going to be dark and depressing and yeah. First alphabetically. Okay. For you, Jeffrey. Okay. Better Call Saul. <gasps> no! You're kidding me! Got nominated. This is fantastic! And we're also going to keep track. Um, I didn't realize until these nominations came out just how little television I think I've watched in the past year. This is kind of my job, right? Yeah. On-screen cleaning, we keep you up to date with movies and television and anything you put on your screens and music and podcasts and whatnot. We basically have to pay 10 bucks a pop now to watch any favorite show of yours because they're all on different channels. And they're all hidden behind paywalls and things like that. Oh, yeah. But – Seeing these Emmy nominations really made me sit back and realize just how little television I've seen. So we'll keep you want to keep track too. Just how many of these have you seen? This is probably the only one I have seen. Better Call Saul, starting off strong. The Bodyguard on Netflix. No. Game of Thrones season eight, the final season. Uh, No. Killing Eve. No. Also on AMC, Mm -mm. but also kind of BBC America. Ozark on Netflix. Uh, I saw season one. Okay. Pose on FX. Nope. Succession on HBO. Nope. And then the only show from a network television, from like free television, NBC, ABC, Fox, CBS, This Is Us on NBC. Oh, yeah. Nope. Haven't seen that either. Okay. So that was like 15 shows. Are they just giving out nominations to everybody? I don't know what their limitations are. It's less than 10. So even if they do like an Oscars rule, they fit under that. Okay. So I've seen, well, I've seen one of those. And like a different season of another. Yeah, yeah. Same with me. So I've not actually seen any of the seasons that are nominated here, Mm -hmm. but I have seen seasons of Better Call Saul and Game of Thrones in the past. Okay. Comedy Comedy. series. Mm -hmm. Barry on HBO. Season one, yes. Fleabag on Amazon Prime. The Good Place (gasps) on NBC. Also, the only in the comedy section from a network TV. Every episode I've seen. Okay. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, I've seen episodes. Russian Doll on Netflix? Nope. Uh, Schitt's Creek on Pop, and then Veep on I ha- HBO. I have seen two seasons of Schitt's Creek, and I've seen a couple of episodes of Veep. 
All right. Veep also in its final season. Similar to Game of Thrones, we'll probably get that final season bump uh, and sympathy vote from the, the people. And speaking of final seasons, if you're a fan of Agents Mar- or Marvel's, Marvel's Agents, Agents of, of S.H.I.E.L.D., was kind of in the MCU when it first started and then yeah. slowly just wasn't. They're going to be going on their last season. Season 7 will be their last. It's been announced. So if you watch CNN, CNN is still a channel that you can get on cable that doesn't have its own streaming service yet. yet. Right. It'll be part of HBO Max. I'm so happy that I stumbled upon this because right now they're doing a miniseries produced by Tom Hanks called The Movies. Nice. So each episode is going to tackle a different decade. And I thought maybe a little bit each week we could do a little trivia and talk about each episode because it's all about the movies. And I was shocked when I watched this first episode about the 80s. I was shocked to know that out of all the movies that they mentioned, there were 44 that I have not seen. Well, 44. When you probably mention 300 movies, you're going to They didn't mention that many. But the the cool thing about this show, they, you know, they go through many different topics in this episode, empowering women in film, me too, action movies from the 80s of Oof. which there were a lot and some great ones. Um they they highlighted specific performers and filmmakers. Okay, so just a couple of quick um trivia questions. This actor, Tom Hanks, said that this movie from the 80s is the most complicated movie ever made. Is it Back to the Future? <laughs> no. Same director. Zemeckis. Yes. Can Oof. you guess? What else did he do in the 80s? Because he didn't do Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks so until another, the 90s. Another Spielberg-produced uh, movie that was not Back to the Future is... I don't know. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Ah. Tom Hanks said is the most complicated movie ever made. Probably from a rights standpoint, because it's the only time the Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse have ever appeared in the same movie. <laughs> okay, this movie, or these two movies, I should say, these were movies that were designed with the music video in mind. So it's a movie manufactured because they wanted to have a good music video made. So Purple Rain would have come out. Uh, that may have been in the same conversation, but not what I'm looking for here. Okay. And it was mentioned on the show. Wild Wild West wasn't until the 90s. No. And that definitely was just an extended music video for Will Smith. Right. Um, These what are two dancing movies. Oh, so possibly Dirty Dancing. That was Foot mentioned. Footloose. On... Footloose is one of them. What's the other one? Also starts with an S. Ooh. So Saturday Night Fever would have been the 70s, right? Flashdance. What a That's feeling. The other one. Yeah. These two filmmakers, they make movies together. Somebody said about them, it always seemed like their films were adapted from books no one had ever heard of. But they were not adapted from books. They were original scripts. Okay. Brother filmmakers from the 80s to today. They've won Oscars. We mentioned one of their creations earlier in the show on FX. Well, it's not their creation anymore, but the name. Oh, the Fargo name would have so, been. So it's the Coen the Brothers. The Coen Brothers, that's mm-hmm. right. So, yeah, we're going to – we'll give you each, – each and every week we'll give you a little taste of each episode of the movies because that's what we do here on the show. We talk movies 
And uh, if you haven't watched it yet, go to CNN and watch it. There are two episodes so far, and I'll bring you more next week when we when they talk about the '90s. A decade Cole's I was favorite actually alive in. Right. Okay, so you mentioned live-action remakes, and we're going to be talking live-action remakes more on the show today. But we have to talk about one live-action remake in particular on the show right now because— That's out today. It's out today. And Cole and I have predicted big things for The Lion King, directed by John Favreau, who seems to be a cash cow for Disney right now. He's got his hands in The Mandalorian, which is going to be on Disney+. Plus. He directed a number of Marvel movies. He also directed one of the more recent live-action Disney films, The Jungle Book, which is technically the highest-rated live-action Disney movie, critically speaking. On Rotten Tomatoes. Right. If you put any stock into that. Right. Which I don't. More to come on that in just a minute. But... uh, Right off the bat, I'm going to say I actually enjoyed this film more than I enjoyed The Jungle Book. Okay. Which is more than a lot of critics are saying right now. But I had a hoot when I was watching this film. Now, right from the beginning of the film, you're going to recognize some key scenes because they are carbon copied from the original. They're a shot-for-shot remake of the original. So with a lot of these films, people scratch their heads and they ask the question, do we really need a remake of this film? And this is a question that certainly popped up in my mind throughout this film. No matter how much I enjoyed this film, one thing I will say that is a mark against it is there's really no reason for it to exist. Okay, It looks beautiful. It is arguably funnier than the original animated version. They made some great casting choices with uh, Timon and Pumbaa, Michael Eisner or Michael Billy Eichner, and uh, I was Seth going Rogen. Disney there for a second, yeah. and Seth Rogen. Uh, even Chiwetel Ejiofor as Scar does a great job, and of course James Earl Dr- Jones reprises his role as Mufasa. Good on him for staying. Alive in time for us to be able to have his voice again. Thank you for staying alive so we could hear you once again, James Earl Jones, that voice of God that you have. So follows the same plot. It is so similar to the original and it deviates so little from the original that, again, no matter how much you enjoy it, you're going to consistently come back to that question. Did they really need to make this? My answer would be no. My wife actually enjoyed it better than the original. However, she doesn't really care for the original. Fighting words. Uh, If you're the type of theater goer that just likes going to the movies, having a good time, and watching something that you can forget about the second you walk out of the theater, The Lion King is probably a good bet. Because I honestly didn't think about it much once I left. But I enjoyed it while I was there. And that's what's important. Absolutely. Well, when we return, speaking of remakes and redoing and maybe even ripoffs, when we return, we're going to be talking about ripoffs. At the movies and in music and beyond. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free. Ta-da! 
Yo VIP, let's kick it, which I think is a nice way to start out a song because it's saying like, you're a very important person. Um, let's begin. Let's begin. Um, and then the next lyric is, uh, all right, stop. Which is strange because we literally just started. <laughs> that was Adam Scott appearing on Conan O'Brien's show, or Conan, kind of breaking down the lyrics to Vanilla Ice's hit song, Ice Ice Baby. And uh, we are actually going to revisit that song here in a bit. And I'm going to let Cole explain why we'll be revisiting that song. It's because we are talking about remakes, reimaginings, and just plain rip-offs today on Screen Cleaning. Ice Ice Baby falls into one of those categories, I think, but it's not the only song that kind of makes you think about an older song. I want to start with Ed Sheeran. You can't turn on the radio nowadays without hearing his sultry voice. And there's actually been a lawsuit regarding one of his songs sounding a little too close to one of Marvin Gaye's. I'll let you be the judge. Darling, I will be loving you till we're 17. I've been really trying, baby. Trying to hold back this feeling for so long. And I'm Ooh. thinking about According to the lawsuit, Ed Sheeran has copied some melody, rhythms, harmonies, drums, bass line, backing chorus, tempo, syncopation, and looping. Hmm. So uh, what does that translate into? He copied the song. Uh, it translates into, <laughs> they hope, $100 million. Whew. That is... They uh... won't get that much. But as you heard, there are similarities, especially in that beat. You can just, you can get into that groove and they just groove right one into the other. You know, another fun thing to do is to take the theme song for the X Files and the themes and put that together with the theme song from Downton Abbey, which I don't know. You've got to try it. And uh, okay, we need to we need to make a distinction between ripping off and sampling. Okay, sampling is this thing, especially in music. Where you can take a portion from somebody else's song and incorporate it into your music, but usually there is permission involved in sampling, right? You get written consent from the original artist to use that music within your own music, right? Uh, and it's called getting sample clearance from the artist. Something that Vanilla Ice did not do when he released... Ice Ice Baby. Now, originally, nobody from Queen, David Bowie, didn't complain. But then something happened. Uh, the song became quite the hit. And 
Then they started paying attention and realized, you know, we really ought to get paid for this. So he ended up settling out of court with David Bowie and Queen. I don't think we need to worry about Vanilla Ice, even though this song was released decades ago. I think he's still riding quite the wave, financial wave, in terms of, uh, you know, he's he's doing all right. We yeah. don't need to worry about him. Yeah. But I think we, we ought to listen to Vanilla Ice explain that, you know, he didn't rip off this song. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. That little bitty change. It's not the same. And that little bitty change is actually called an anacrusis. I was not familiar with that. A word you learned from Vanilla Ice. Or Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, anacrusis, that little, that little bitty change, was not enough for him to get away with ripping off. Under Pressure from Queen and David Bowie. And there are certainly a few other songs that kind of fall into this category of sampling or ripping off or just, you know, inspired by the chords. But it wouldn't be screen cleaning if we didn't talk about what's on the screen, right? So let's let's talk a little movies now. And, and I don't mean just Disney ripping off themselves with all these remakes. I'm talking about when the plot or the setting or the moral of the story is eerily similar between completely different movies. In the early 1990s, Robin Williams, in 1992, Robin Williams was having a heck of a year. He was the voice of the genie in oh, Aladdin. Yeah. And in the same year, he was the voice of a little bat in a movie called Fern Gully. <laughs> a Save the Rainforest movie where a little fairy shrinks down a big bad human that was coming to tear down the rainforest. And he learns a powerful lesson about the value of nature. Those humans are the worst. They are, aren't they? But he yeah. learns his lesson by the end. And a giant smog cloud voiced by Tim Curry becomes the real bad guy. The humans were just the pawns in his plot to take over the rainforest. I had no idea that Tim Curry voiced... A smog cloud. In the same movie where Robin Williams is voicing a bat. So you could go back and watch that one where the indigenous person comes in contact with this outsider who's trying to take over their land. They go on many adventures, including frolicking through light up forests and trying to save a sacred tree before learning the lesson of the value of nature at the end. Or you could watch 1995's Pocahontas. Oh, yes. From Disney, which is a little bit of a bigger studio name than what Ferngully came out of, mm -hmm. where Pocahontas, very not at all even loosely based on the story of actual <laughs> Pocahontas, but it is a nice story about this indigenous lady who has an outsider human that wants to take over her land, and there is a sacred tree and some light-up flowers. I believe who was voiced by Linda Hunt, yes. Academy Award winner Linda Hunt. But if that's not your style either, you could get a bigger budget yet again and watch James Cameron's interplanetary visual masterpiece that the box office tells us just about everyone watched back in 2009, Avatar, where an indigenous lady comes in contact with a hard-headed human male that has to learn the value of nature and getting along with people. They run through forests that light up when they touch it, and they try to save a sacred tree. Well, I mean, I, I guess you could say that there are no original ideas left in Hollywood. But 
more so than some other ones. These have just very specific things that they're lifting from one another. Yeah, there's, I mean, Dances with Wolves is also kind of a colonialization story. There's these kind of stories that tell us, be kind to the land around you. But these three specifically are really similar. I take back what I said then. I Maybe it's not a question of there are no original ideas left in Hollywood. Maybe we as humans are just not getting the message, and so they keep feeling like they've got to hammer the point to the ground and get us to treat the environment a little better. Exactly. Hmm. We still need to save the rainforests. You've given me something to chew on, Cole. My pick. So I remember the first time I saw the trailer for Skyscraper. And I remember immediately thinking, as did many other people, this looks an awful lot like Die Hard, the 80s action movie starring Bruce Willis, where he goes to his wife's Christmas party in this giant skyscraper near L.A., and it's taken over by terrorists who ruin a perfectly good Christmas party. In this film... Dwayne The Rock Johnson – oh, I should mention that uh, Bruce Willis's wife is in the building. So he's not only trying to rescue all of the employees and thwart the terrorists, but he's trying to rescue his wife, right? Makes it personal. Yes. So in Skyscraper, he is like this ex-Marine type of guy that loses a leg and so now he goes into like safety consulting or something like that, right? And – it's this state-of-the-art building called the Pearl, and uh, his family is given an entire floor of the building to stay there while he's checking everything for safety, you know, checking all the boxes, making sure that they can move forward with these plans, right? Well, this building is taken over by terrorists, and as I mentioned, his family is in the building, so not only is he trying to save everybody from the terrorists, but he's trying to save his family. And if you want some good chuckles, you should go online and see the comments on social media that people have shared poking fun at how how <laughs> how much this movie is the same as Die Hard. One of them was pretty funny. There was a guy picturing them in a pitch meeting and somebody bringing up the concern, are we worried this movie is too much like Die Hard? And somebody answering, we'll give him a, a prosthetic leg. Are we worried this will make too much money? You read it too then. That's awesome. Yes. So I think the filmmakers are not – they're not trying to claim that this is a completely original idea. I think they said that there are you know parts of Die Hard that, that could be seen the same as this movie. But I also think that this movie is not going to pretend to be something that it's not. I think it, it means to be a B movie. And it's also by no means the first movie to have even ripped off Die Hard. Um, in 2013, White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen both came out, which did Die Hard in the White House and also kind of ripped off each other, which brings up the weird side conversation of when in the same year two movies accidentally are remakes of one another, Deep Impact and Armageddon, both coming out in 1998. Bugs Life and Ants, also both coming out in 1998. Oh, and uh, speaking of Ants and similar releases, I've got an example from the history of comic books for you, Jeff. 
Ant-Man is a character that has been popularized now by Paul Rudd. Uh, everyone and their dog has seen Endgame by now, and he also has two other movies starring alongside Evangeline Lilly's Wasp that he has been in. But fans of DC Comics will know that they have their own super genius superhero that can shrink down to untold sizes and explore worlds unknown and also get bigger and bigger and bigger as well. His name is Ray Palmer and he goes by The Atom. And his first appearance in comic books was in 1961, the year before Hank Pym's Ant-Man appeared in Marvel Comics. And so you could say, and, and Marvel and DC kind of have a lot of similar heroes, you know, and, and neither is exactly guilty of more ripping off than the other. But in this case, you know, poor Adam is laboring away on television in Legends of Tomorrow and kind of the CW DC universe, while Ant-Man gets the big budget action movies. And we've kind of become more familiar with the one that came second, in this case, even though we all love Paul Rudd and it's funny and it's a Boy good movie, Dewey. Yeah. It's, it's not the most original. OK. Well, um, I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here with my last pick. So there are plenty of entities, plenty of uh, movie franchises, plenty of songs that could be accused of ripping off other possibly greater songs or movies. But mine is actually a product. And before I tell you about it, I want to tell you a story. When I was 11 years old, I was going home from Scouts, and one of the few times that I wrote, that I used a skateboard, I was crossing the street. It was at night. It was busy. I waited for the pedestrian sign like a good little pedestrian should, and I was crossing the crossing the street on my skateboard. Lo and behold, a car was turning left at the same time, plowed me over. I rolled up onto the windshield. They freaked out, slammed on the brakes, and I went tumbling off the windshield. Luckily, I got right up, and I was. Uh, they called an ambulance. Uh, luckily, they didn't just do a hit and run. And I remember sitting in the back of the ambulance thinking, I'm fine. I'm fine. I need to get home. I really wanted to get home because I was going to miss an episode of Home Improvement. Oh? I remember going to school the next day, and all I had was this big purple bruise on my leg. And so I remember telling kids what happened, telling my peers, oh, yeah, I was skateboarding home last night. I got plowed over by this car. Nobody believed me. Because in their minds, if I had been plowed over by this car... You'd be in a body cast. I would be, yes. I would be much more hurt than just a big purple bruise. So then the uh, their form of taunting was in, uh, oh, Jeff got hit by... He ran into a parked car. <laughs> and I was furious. It Which, was so frustrating. Apparently, given your skateboarding skills at the time, might not have been out of the question. It probably... And I don't think I rode a skateboard after that. So, yeah, good point, Cole. It probably could have happened, but it didn't. Uh-huh. So imagine how frustrating it must have been for a little company called Sunshine. They created a, a cookie called Hydrox. Okay, this was 1908, so way back in the early 1900s. And imagine how frustrating it was for them when in 1912... 
a slightly, well, a much bigger company that ultimately became Nabisco, uh, decided to come out with their own chocolate sandwich cookie called the Oreo. You may have heard of it. I have heard of it. Okay. You probably even tasted one, Mm -hmm. if you can remember that. They had much deeper pockets, and they were able to make their cookie way outlast Hydrox, which unfortunately uh, was removed from shelves after the company was sold off to various parties. It it has changed hands over the years. Uh, Kellogg owned it for a while. But there was another company in 2014, Leaf Brands, registered the Hydrox trademark, which, as I mentioned, had been abandoned by Kellogg's a, a few years back. Leaf Brands began production of their version of Hydrox on September 4th, 2015, at the company's facility in Vern- Vernon, California. This is important information, Cole. I'm riveted. In 2017, the recipe was changed to remove artificial flavors that had been used for the previous 50 years. And the company obtained non-GMO certification, which you probably don't know is not that easy to do. There's a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of money that you have to drop to get that non-GMO certification. Anyway... Apparently, and this would be interesting to do a taste test somewhere later on, uh, but apparently the Hydrox is a darker chocolate cookie. The cream is a less sweet cream, and apparently it is crunchier, so it's not going to get as soggy as an Oreo will in milk. Imagine how how frustrating it was for the Hydrox cookie because in their marketing – When Oreo came out, they had to be a little more aggressive. They had to start saying the original chocolate sandwich cookie. But Oreo took off so much to the point where people thought that Hydrox was the ripoff cookie. Can you imagine being the original and everybody saying, yeah, right, Hydrox, you just you just ripped off Oreo. (laughs) You skateboarded into a parked car. How dare you? So we can see that sometimes history doesn't tell the truest tale. And like I said, with Ant-Man getting his own multi-million dollar pair of movies now and sure to be more, whereas The Atom, which was the first one, is yeah, related right, to Cole. television. Yeah, right. Well, although there may be some confusion then between Ant-Man and The Atom or between Hydrox cookies and Oreos, etc., There is no confusion when it comes to which came first, the animated The Lion King or the live action one. And so when we come back on screen cleaning, we want to talk about and maybe rank this recent trend of Disney live action remakes when we get back on screen cleaning. Forget about your worries and your strife. What's that? That's a song about the good life. What's a song? You never heard a song before? Everyone's got a song. 
Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We just finished talking about ripoffs at the movies, with music, with food even. Because Jeff always ends up bringing up food in any conversation. Right. And although some of these films that we're about to talk about might be considered, some might say that they're ripoffs, others might just call them Remakes. So we wanted to take Disney's some time. Disney's just ripping off themselves nowadays. <laughs> so that's called a remake. So we're we're going to spend some time ranking all eight of the modern trend of Disney live action remakes. We should define what it means to be a live action remake and what it means to not. And so we're considering the start to be about twenty. 10-ish when Alice in Wonderland was directed by Tim Burton. Right when it looked like these weren't just they weren't just flying by the seat of their pants, right when they right when it looked like they were formulating a plan, we're going to start making a whole series of live action remakes. Cuz it should be noted and honorable mentionly so that in the 90s they did make a Jungle Book before they made another Jungle Book and they did make 101 and 102 Dalmatians as well. Okay, and thankfully we won't have to talk about either one of those Dalmatian movies. I kind of, you know, I rewatched the first <laughs> one and Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille. No arguing that. Fantastic. That is cool. And then Hugh Laurie and Arthur Weasley uh, as Horace and Jasper, also fantastic. I'm going to say this right now, Cole. Of all of the casting choices for any of these live-action movies, Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille is by far the greatest casting decision they made. I'll dispute that, okay. but not until we talk about our favorite live-action remake. Ooh, I can't but we're going to start with our least favorite, and that is The Other Jungle Book. That would be shocking because we mentioned earlier in the program that the critics say that this is the best live-action Disney remake. But I went to it with my whole family. I will say we didn't have a great experience because we accidentally went to a screening where they had the uh, text on the screen the entire time. And I cannot peel my eyes away from those words if they pop up on the screen. Can't really enjoy Bill Murray's voice if right. you're reading it not in Bill Murray's voice. But I also can't go to these movies and not pay attention to the voiceovers. And my wife and I were both kind of disappointed with the voiceover delivery. Uh, maybe it was the direction. It it was certainly beautiful to look at, yeah. you know, cinema-wise, the yeah. lighting was good, and, and CG has come to such a point where it really did look like the bear and the jaguar and the tiger, and everyone was doing these things. Yeah. But ultimately, it just wasn't interesting. Speaking of good to look at, this next movie, which is our second least favorite on the list, is Alice in Wonderland. Anything Tim Burton is going to be fun to look at. Right. Huge points here for the style and the look of it. Maybe even some casting choices. Helena Bonham Carter as the Queen of Hearts and Crispin Glover as her little minion guy. Uh, Johnny Depp, I mean, we up at this point, we've seen him in so many of these types of roles. It's nothing new from him. And, you know, also the uh, good choice with uh, the actress that played Alice. Mio Wazakowski or something like that. Yeah, but uh, just didn't do it for me. I saw this movie alone on my birthday. <laughs> and this was the first movie I ever remember falling asleep during Ooh, in that's the never, theaters. never a good sign. Yeah. Never a good sign. Now, the next movie on our list is the movie that I actually, on, on my uh, individual list, I placed dead last. 
But and Cole it is liked it worth enough to talking bump it up about on the list. why this belongs on this list as well. We're going to talk about Maleficent for just a second, mm-hmm. because strictly speaking, it's kind of an outlier. You know, if if we kicked out 101 Dalmatians and the other Jungle Book, why didn't we kick out Maleficent? It's not really a remake of Sleeping Beauty. It's more a retelling from the villain's point of view. We're going to get another one of those next December when they make a Cruella de Vil movie starring Emma Stone. So. I rank it very highly because it does something different and it it really gives us a new voice into the character and it takes an old property like Sleeping Beauty that on its own is pretty boring and just very, Mm. very by the books, old style Disney and gives it an updated story and and new interesting dialogue and and makes it something new. This is why our listeners tune in to screen cleaning because you and I don't see eye to eye on many things at all. And this is just an example. I actually think the original uh, Sleeping Beauty is one of the greatest Disney movies made because it's able to tell a story so well using mainly music. And the music is beautiful. There's not much going on in Maleficent. Uh, most of the movie, she's just walking around the woods, spying on people and not doing a whole lot of anything. All they did basically was turn the villains into heroes and the uh, good guys into bad guys. Really, I couldn't think of a single likable character from this entire movie. It's just a downer of a movie, and I'm not even going to bother showing it to my kids because I just don't think they'll care for it. Neither did I. Sad. But uh, this one we is kind of middle-of-the-road Disney remake, and it's Beauty and the Beast yeah, if we're going to talk about, you know, why I liked Maleficent, we need to talk about why I didn't like Beauty and the Beast. Okay. It seems like every choice that they made to do something different was the wrong choice. Beauty and the Beast is one of these perfect Renaissance era remakes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they really didn't give us anything new by making the new version. They they made Be Our Guest longer and more CGI. Yeah. They... they Put in a couple new jokes that just didn't land. Everything about it just kind of was flat. When the when the original is so great. Right. And this one automatically was going to have huge uh, shoes to fill because the original was nominated for Best Picture. Back when there was not an, a Best Animated Feature category and back when there were only five nominees for Best Picture. That is huge. So... Yeah, it was going to be a tough act to beat anyway. And the next one, I liked probably about the first half of it. And I liked some of the stylistic things that that were done in it. It's Tim Burton, once again, directing Dumbo. Another movie that I ranked a little higher than Jeff whenever we were trying to put this together. Because I think just as a rule, I appreciate... Disney remaking the old movies more than the new movies because I think there's more room to grow in the old movies. Sure. Dumbo, the original, is kind of boring. And I mean, it is. has a, not aged well. It hasn't Many people aged would well. argue. They were able to take out a couple things that didn't, right. wouldn't fly if they remade it. It's a very interesting choice in a very 101 Dalmatians, the first one way to not have Dumbo talk. You know, the interaction yeah. between him and his mom and and the mice and everything was kind of the driving force in the original. And so when you remake it, you put the onus on the kids and yeah. on Colin 
Farrell and yes. on, you know, Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito and yeah. Eva Green, the kind of Tim Burton staples. And I think they do an amazing job to tell the story anyway. This is classic Tim Burton. Tim Burton, he just loves stories about rejects, about misfits. And Dumbo is a misfit because of his gigantic ears. I didn't care for Michael Keaton as the bad guy. They try to do a reversal of roles from Batman Returns where now Danny DeVito's the good guy and Michael Keaton's the bad guy. But I particularly liked how they handled the... uh, How are we going to explain away this drunk scene where Dumbo gets drunk. Not in the new film. Instead, he's just in awe at this pink elephants on parade. That was my favorite scene from the movie is how they did that with all these bubbles that move it's around. the imagination and, of yes. seeing Michael Keaton's new version of the circus. And what did you think of, let's get ready for Dumbo? <laughs> I mean, the first time I laughed, the fact that it happened again, I groaned a little oh, bit. Gosh. It's the actual "Let's get ready to rumble" guy, right? Rep- you know, kind of cool. Playing himself, kind of funny. All right, so the next movie on our list is the guy Richie directed Aladdin, a movie that, again, for me, is very hit or miss. You're probably sensing a pattern on this list as we hit number six. We haven't really liked any of them yet. Good, cha- good casting choices in this movie for the most part. I didn't care uh, very much for Will Smith's uh, The Genie. Not entirely his fault, but the actors that they got for Aladdin, Jafar, and uh, Princess Jasmine, I thought were fantastic. For me, very similar to Beauty and the Beast. There were some places where they expanded on the story, but it started as such a complete and good modern story that they didn't really need to. And when it comes down to it, if I want to watch Aladdin, I'm going to pop in the animated version. Probably not this one. Yeah. So you wouldn't guess it if you were to look at Rotten Tomatoes right now, but uh, The Lion King, we're putting at number two on our list. And I rely on your Because Cole has not seen it. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it it was very enjoyable. It was beautiful to look at. Very funny. Some really good casting choices. Um, But again, you're probably going to leave the theater thinking, you know, they didn't really need to make that. There's no reason for this movie to exist. And And I'm going to push you back just a little bit on that concept because as much as I've been saying I don't like the newer ones, it's still kind of exciting as a theater experience to go and see these beloved classics, the 90s Renaissance era Disney movies brought to life in a different way. I mean, I spent the late 2000s, early 2010s watching any YouTube video of someone covering these songs or kind of like bringing them to live action and running around as I could. And now to see actual Disney take real actors and put this in front of me, it's really exciting to watch. But at the end of the day, when I want to watch the whole movie again, I'm just going to go back to the animated classics. Yeah. So, Cole, what is the what is the our favorite live action Disney remake on it's our list? Got to be Cinderella. Yes. And my favorite casting decision: a tie for first place, Helena Bonham Carter as the cool fairy godmother, and Kate Blanchett as the evil stepmother. Not the roles you might think when you hear that they're going to be cast in this movie. I love. It. Yes. And this overall is just by far and away the best Disney remake that they've made. Uh, the animals don't talk like they do in the original, which is okay. There was they room also, to improve. Yes. They also don't sing any of the songs, which is okay. It's Kenneth Branagh directing it. So you know he's going to take it seriously. He's going to direct his actors very well. 
And I loved Lily James as Cinderella. She was very kind, very forgiving. And it was different enough that it really warranted a remake. There wasn't an overabundance of jokes. There wasn't just gratuitous CGI. It was a serious new take on, I mean, the Cinderella story is something that's been remade and ripped off hundreds of times in the course of cinema. But for Disney to go back and look at their characters and really tell this again in a serious way, I think worked very well. Well, that's going to do it for our discussion on Disney remakes. When we return, we know you're itching to find out who is doing better on their summer movie box office report, Cole or me. And uh, we're going to find out when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. It'll do magic, believe it or not. This is my wake-up song. I don't know about you, Cole. This gets me going. Gets you up on a Saturday afternoon. Right. (laughs) I am so excited to take another look at the box office numbers for the summer because, as you know, if you've been listening, Cole and I have a little bit of a wager going he thinks he's going to be right. I think I'm going to – well, I, th- I hope I'm going to be right. I think that my being right relies on the movie coming out this weekend though. Yes, because you had The Lion King at number one and it's projected to make a whole lot of money. If it hits that $175 million projection for the weekend, it would be the highest opening weekend of the summer. Not including, again, we talked about um, Spider-Man's six-day weekend. Right. A lot, Spider-Man's actual weekend was 90, and so anything above 130 or so where Toy Story 4 ended up would have it on track to be the highest movie of the summer. Could be a shoe-in. That's now, what I need. I'm banking on it not being very popular once that many people go see it. Uh, I have to bank on that. Aladdin Otherwise, I'm has doomed. had three months in the theater and is still going strong. Still Lion number King four. won't it's, get that. It's still number four after, yeah, after you said three months. Aladdin, so here's a little box office trivia for you. It was in the top five. Eight straight weekends. It did wow. duck out just for one weekend last weekend, but during the week again, it kind of climbed back up in there. So that could mean one of two things. Either people love it and it's had great word of mouth. And if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, at least, the audience does love it. Um, or it means there's just a whole lot of nothing coming out this summer. It also gets the musical effect, uh, often musicals, things that you can sing along to and take your friends to and enjoy the music of will stick around because you can sing the songs. Well, let's just hope that by the end of the summer, Cole is not singing. In short, my friend Jeff is doomed. In short, our pal. Oh, pal. Is doomed. <laughs> you can play that again at the end of the summer if I am doomed, <laughs> if you like. We'll do. I I will eat crow. Yeah, I don't mind uh, don't mind doing it. Just don't eat zazu. I'll eat about anything. I love food. <laughs> anyway, so Spider Man Far From Home, still number one. And do you think it has the legs to pass Toy Story Four, which has also done extremely well? We will see. I, uh, for the interest of my list, hope it does not 
quite, but I kind of hope that it does because I enjoyed it a little bit better as a movie. Did you have Toy Story 4 ahead of Spider-Man? I did. I had Lion King, then Toy Story 4, then Spider-Man. You had Toy Story 4, then Spider-Man, then Lion King. Okay. Well, I hope uh, Spider-Man can shoot enough webs to make it past... The Lion King. But those were, I mean, those were our consensus top three, and so now they're all kind of coming out. They need to all push their ways up there. Everything after that is kind of a crapshoot, to be honest. We're, we're all over the board. Movies that we didn't even consider are way up on the list, like John, John Wick, Wick 3. 3. And movies that we thought would at least crack the top ten are very, very close to being pushed out of the top ten. Men in Black... More likely to be uh, uh, Dark Phoenix will absolutely not end up there. And, yeah, Men in Black will not as well. As I predicted, Dark Phoenix would not. You had it at 10. I did not have it showing up on my list. I had more faith in those X-Men loving people. I'm still – I'm riding on Rocket Man. I think that it can just barely stay on there. I had it in my top 10. That was my, like, long shot pick. And it is still there for now. Rocket Man. Because musicals, you're hitting it. If you can People sing along it. to it, it'll be in the top ten. But that didn't seem to work for yesterday. I cannot tell you. I don't think I've seen a bigger marketing push for any movie this summer than yesterday. I saw more trailers for yesterday than any other movie. Probably because I wasn't seeing a whole lot of R-rated films which when you see R-rated films, you get the R-rated trailers. True. When you see a PG-13 movie, you get the PG-13 trailers. But, uh, yeah, yesterday I thought would have made a little more money. It's doing pretty well. I mean, I'm sure it didn't cost a lot of money to make, and it's already at $51 million. Mm-hmm. So it's it's doing all right. Yesterday and Rocketman, both musicals and both original concepts, they're not sequels and not remakes. We've spent the whole show talking about rip-offs and remakes of one way or another. And I just wanted to bring a little box office news to that point yeah. as well. Um, right now in the top 10, Rocketman is the only non-intellectual property kind of first movie of its kind in the top 10. And that's nothing new. Anyone lamenting that, oh, no movie is new? I went back and looked at the top summer movie uh, and going back all the way to 2003 was the last time that the number one movie of a summer was not a sequel or a remake. Wow. And what was that, Cole? It was Finding Nemo. (gasps) A Pixar movie, and Pixar kind of has its own brand to go on. But back in 2003, that was one of their first. And Finding Nemo was the number one movie of the summer. Since then, it's been Shrek 2, Star Wars 3, or 6, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) Um, Pirates of the Caribbean 4, Spider-Man 3, Indiana Jones 4, Transformers 2, Toy Story 3, Transformers 3, Avengers, or MCU number 6 or so. Uh, Iron Man 3, X-Men Days of Future Past, which is X-Men 5 or 6, Jurassic World, which is Jurassic Park 4, Finding Dory, which is Finding Nemo 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Incredibles 2, and now, so far, Toy Story 4. You know what? I think when the dust settles and the years pass, I think a lot of these movies that are original are going to be remembered maybe a little better. More fondly. Yeah. I hope so. Absolutely. Um... The Princess Bride never made a whole lot of money at the movie theaters. Wouldn't be screen cleaning. Jeff didn't sing its praises. Right. And, you know, who doesn't love The Princess Bride? 
Well, as you know, we like to end each and every show by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. Remakes and reimaginings are nothing new to Hollywood, as we've said, but even on the other side of the country, where the stage takes precedence in New York, they rely on intellectual property as well. I want to talk about The Lion King stage play on Broadway. That is awesome. I mean, I've been lucky enough to see that. I saw it in Seattle. Where did you see it, Cole? On Broadway. Whoa. It is, I mean, to date, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and it is really a cry and shame that I only went to New York to see a Broadway show once, the musical and theater and movie fan that I am, but... When it when I did, you made it, it was count. to see Lion King. Yeah. Came out a couple years after the movie, so very based on the movie. But what you get in the stage play are the most imaginative costume designs that you will ever see because everyone out there is holding these almost puppet-like life-sized lions and birds and giraffes and everything else. And instead of just using CGI and making it look like a lion or a tiger right. or a bear, oh my, they really – used some imagination to see how people in all black costumes kind of blending into the background could manufacture and work these giant apparatuses. And it was just so amazing to see. Do you think people would rather see a Lion King movie where there are clearly people in costumes like on stilts doing puppets? Or do you think that would be a little too uh stagey would be the word for it and i do think that if you're doing the movie you have to do it the way that they've done and that's where broadway and the stage and theater kind of has its own thing going for it um what you see and what you're a part of when you're in a theater isn't the same as just watching it on the screen when you watch on the screen you expect something a little bit different and so the theater can bring you something different from that by going to see it. Yeah, you know, an example of uh, Broadway not translating well uh, into film was one of the biggest Broadway hits ever, The Producers. Mm -hmm. They made a film version of it. They tried to make it pretty much exactly the same. It kind of got panned. Even some of the jokes where they refer to, you know, exiting stage left don't quite translate when you try to talk it into movie terminology as opposed to the theater terminology. Did you know that Lion King currently is the third longest running show on Broadway? Really? Behind The Phantom of the Opera and The Chicago that came back in 1996. It's It's been running since then. When I was growing up, it was Cats that was the one that couldn't be beaten. Of course, we t- already talked about that new Cats trailer. I just wanted one more excuse to bring up the fact that we're getting did. a Cats movie. <laughs> it will be ridiculous. Um, and it is the fourth now longest running um, play on Broadway right behind Lion King, which I highly recommend. I think people will go see Cats. I really do think they will go see it. I think it'll be the next Mamma Mia. If you can sing along to it, that's what I say. That's what I sing the praises of. Well, plenty of options this weekend for what you can do. Go see The Lion King or do what Cole and I suggested. Maybe just stay at home and have a marathon of some of those old Disney animated classics that we all love so much. So much that, you know, they can't leave them alone. So much that we keep paying money to see a new version of. (laughs) 
Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We're here each and every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. Go to BYUradio.org. You can stream us live or you can check out the podcast. Check out the podcast wherever you find them on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podcasts RS. I don't know. I only get them from iTunes. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. 